The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 136 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. Today, we are doing something special. We are finally digging into that mailbag and clearing out some old stuff. So as you longtime listeners already know, at the end of each episode, Mike and I try to answer about three to four of your listener questions. But those questions keep piling up because you guys are freaking awesome. So today, we're going to do an entire episode of all listener questions. So buckle up and get ready for Mike and I to pretend like we actually know what the heck we're talking about. One, two... Three, four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if I should start clapping instead of snapping? I don't know which is better. I guess mm. it doesn't matter. You know, I do get a bit of nerves right before we do it because I'm like, what if I've got like dry hands and my snap doesn't come through? Like, would he be able to line up the files? <laughs> clapping would solve all of that. 135 episodes in, we're figuring some stuff out. What's up, dude? Hey, what is up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's try that again. What's up, bro? It's good to see you, man. Likewise. Yeah, it's actually it is, it's a rainy day here, but the temperature, I got short sleeves on. Oh, you know, nice. it's getting there. It's getting there. It's all nice, good. Man. I wanted to... How, uh, how, oh, good. Uh, that's the first time we've literally interrupted each other in, in 136 episodes. I know. That was pretty bad. It's <laughs> the whole reason we do this guy thing. I was just going to ask, uh, how much, since I've been to New York in the winter and I've been to New York in the summer... Uh, and both are uh, a little rough. How how much great weather do you have? Do you have like a, f- a month, two months of just nice springtime before mm. it gets sweltering hot and humid? No, it kind of it's like rainy season, then it gets hot. That's kind of what happens. Oh, okay, we might have like two weeks of like perfection. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, do you think that there's something where? Just New York as a whole is like this is way too good, and all of us are in good moods. This needs to change now. Yeah, we need to be much. miserable. Okay, yeah. and yeah. then they're like, "Whoo, that was close. We're almost getting kind." <laughs> Got to get like, all blacks on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. 
Uh, that's funny, man. New York, man. I mean, I, I know that you don't actually live like in uh, Manhattan or anything, but it is its own thing. I've, I've been talking to a lot of younger drummers lately uh, that are just in that period of their life where they're thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And obviously New York is something they're thinking about. Maybe Boston because of Berkeley, Los Angeles, mm. Nashville. And I let them know, like, you really just need to visit these places because New York is not a gray area. You are either going to fall in love with it and it will be everything you always thought life could be or it will be the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's you not won't a, know until you're there. I don't think it's an overly friendly city. It's pretty dissonant, I think, in a lot of ways. And mm. I've gotten used to it to where it doesn't intimidate me. But definitely the first time it was like, whoa, I'm going to swallow it up just by the, the intensity of the city. Just everything's right. just moving in different directions. And I kind of think I don't live in the city. Maybe some people who live there can weigh in. You kind of deal with the fact that it really sucks because, like, the living in the city sucks because you have access to everything you could ever want. Like I, I think that that's what appeals to certain people is they get it. It's like, yes, we have slushy, muddy snow, you know, when you're walking yeah. around. We, we get – and there's, there's people yelling and everything, but – there's so much life, so much life. I mean, it just yeah. there, you can't ever say there's nothing to do. Like it never no. stops. <laughs> but you know, there's a there's an inverse to that where because there's always so much going on all the time, people never want to go out and support your band. <laughs> that is true. I've, I've I remember the first time I ever saw video footage from the 55 bar. I was like. Why are there 11 people seeing the greatest musicians on the planet? Yeah. And I saw club footage of Jojo Marin Nerve playing, and there was 26 people. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> there should be a thousand people there. This is it. You know, but it's like, yeah, but he'll be here tomorrow and yeah. the next day yeah. and the next day. Yeah, but there's definitely so. bands who've come through that I know have sold out like two nights in Seattle or somewhere, and they're barely getting like 100 people at the Bowery Ballroom. It's like, dang, right. man, that, that has to be dejecting. You come to New York and like... Mm -hmm. huh, empty room. Why are we here? <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember the uh, first time playing. Um, where have I played? The, is it the Hammerstein Ballroom? I don't know if that's in New York. Um, yeah, that's a that's a Hammer really okay. nice venue. So I played the Hammerstein. Uh, obviously, this was when uh, the '90s or the 2000 bands were doing well, and but I remember it being sold out and. Even still, people just were reluctant to enjoy. They were just like, "We will stand, we will watch, and you're lucky we're here." Uh, and then, and then we played CBGBs just for the like the nostalgia factor. And there was like seven people there. They all just were like, "Please leave to us," you know. We're like, "Okay, this is this is hardcore. Let's go back to the West Coast." But like I said, I think when I look at what JP's done in that city, just by saying, no, 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 like I'm bringing my own set of rules and I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this on my own. And, and I think what he loves about that place, and I, I mean, I, I hate speaking for him, but is the fact that all the greatest or so many great musicians are there, but also because people will leave you alone, you don't have to be part of a clique or a crew. You can just kind of also just keep your head down and work your butt off. And that's kind of his approach. He's got his very close knit group of friends. He's made his own band and he's doing things on his own. And so uh, it's it's definitely a polarizing city for sure. And when I'm there, I'm, I'm in the group of, man, I love to visit there. And mm -hmm. I can't, I couldn't live there, but I love to visit it. And I would assume that the hardcore New York cats and the East Coast people would feel the same way about when they come to Nam. It's like, yeah, dude, 
this is great for like four days, yeah, but yeah. your little Disneyland crap, I can't <laughs> yeah. live like this. No, you know? I, I find I find Anaheim way more disconcerting than New York City because it just yeah. feels so fake. I'm like, is, where's the reality? When you, it's like you feel like I feel like like everyone's just perfectly safe, even though you know there's some neighborhoods where you're not. But it just feels right, so right. like clean and safe and like ah, everything's just plastic and comfortable yeah and it's got that like oh i can just be outside at midnight and it's still warm so everything feels good i'm not even cool i don't (laughs) i could just fall asleep on this bench and wake up tomorrow and everything would be fine yeah i i i can't do the anaheim thing very long either and i'm a west coast guy so that's why i live where i live you know sacramento is the nice in between we're we're two hours from the mountains and we're two hours from san francisco but we're just kind of in the middle it, it's just like it's the burbs of Jersey. It's like just leave me alone. I'll be cool, man. I won't bother anybody. I, just leave me alone. So All right, we're man. Let's, seven minutes in, and we haven't talked about our intro group by God. Dario. <laughs> Dario, congratulations. That's uh, pretty rad because uh, where is he? He's from Macedonia. That's our first Macedonian intro, right? Which I know nothing about Macedonia. What did we discover? It was formerly a Yugoslavian. Yep. Uh, it was so the Republic of Macedonia is a country in the Balkan Peninsula in Southeast Europe. I'm not reading this. <laughs> it is one of the successor states of the former Yugoslavia. There we go. Uh, declared its independence in 1991. Wow. Boom. So yeah. he recorded that with his smartphone, and he was using an app called Parrot, which I've never heard of. I want to check it out. And then he says he mixed it in an app called Wave Studio. Um, it's an Android app. I don't know if it's available for iPhone, but his gear was a 20-inch Pearl Forum bass drum, um, five and a half inch deep Yamaha Stage Custom Snare, Pisces three or two series cymbals. Some pretty basic setup. It sounded cool, funky groove. Dario is is a funky cat, man. He's got them ghost notes on point. Yeah. Well done, buddy. Definitely a Garibaldi kind of vibe going on there. Super cool. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So uh, now <laughs> that we've lost all of our listeners due to our complaints about. <laughs> Two of the greatest places in the world, California and New York. <laughs> what uh, what's going on in your in your world, bud? I had I, I definitely wanted to talk about this because I know we've we've kind of pontificated about custom in ears versus non custom mold in ears and the pros and cons of each. I had a real life near horror story happen to me this past weekend where oh. uh, I was subbing for Carter on Lion King and and in that show the drum you're you're only connected to the orchestra and the conductor via in-ears so if your in-ears so don't you hear work nothing in your booth you'll hear nothing yeah i mean you'll hear like muffled horns <laughs> that's about it oh dear god <laughs> so i knew in you know last week I'd, i noticed my custom molds were starting to act weird the click track was only coming out of one ear when i was recording at home but i could still hear stuff out of both ears i thought maybe i was just going deaf you know like just getting confused right. like what's what the hell's going on so I took, you know, I had my custom molds with me and went to the show, but I also took a backup set of nine custom molds, just a new something, just in case. Right. So I played the first song, and it just felt really weird with the custom molds. Clearly something was, like, phasing out. I was only hearing half of the orchestra. Super weird. Okay. Uh, luckily, I had the other ones with me. I swapped them out. But what I discovered is the low end on single driver, non-custom mold in-ears is so boomy and has no distinction. So every time I hit the floor toms, it just annihilated the mix. Oh so I couldn't gosh. hear anything. Bass player, and I'm gone. assuming that's not a that's not a kick snare hat 
gig. No, there's tons a lot of, of toms. toms, tons of toms, and yeah. it, so it's I, like you tribal know, and <laughs> yeah. So the click track got annihilated. The bass player got annihilated. I mean, just in oh. my ears, not in their ears, obviously. Right. But, so luckily, I just was able to just play off of instinct and experience and not have to worry about it but had that been my first show it would have been an absolute train wreck <laughs> so i was gonna say it's so lucky that you've at least had a few of these gigs you've been covering for wow yeah it was intense so definitely if you're going to get non-custom old in-ears definitely at least a dull driver with the bass <laughs> with a crossover because you know I, I don't know i mean because i've had so many different in-ears and i i'm kind of a an ears junkie as far as every time I fly somewhere, I immediately go to the little camera headphone shop in the airport. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I can't pronounce that word. That must be a good company from Germany. I'll buy those. The right. Klipsisch Bosch and Heifenfleifsch. And uh, so I, I, I buy everything. And I just noticed that no matter how great the quality is on non-custom molds, I don't think it's, I don't. I don't know if they can ever do enough because the seal of the custom mold is what's giving you so much great audio. Um, yeah. I'm currently. I have the uh, Ultimate Ear UE4s, I guess, which is their most affordable custom mold. Mm -hmm. That's their three hundred ninety nine dollar one, um, and that's a, just a dual driver. And then I have the UE11s, which are supposed to be enhanced for bass, and I think they're about fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah, right. And I use the UE. Uh, fours on all of my clinics because I'm scared to lose the $1,400 ones. Yeah. So all my clinics, all my traveling is the 399 ones. I really, it's not that I can't tell a difference. It's that the difference isn't something that I mind. It's not going from bad or from amazing to bad. It's like, uh, well, that one's super, definitely has more low end when I hit the kick, but I can live without that. What I'm looking for in any in-ear is clarity. Yeah. Clarity. That, yeah. Yeah. I would say avoid the enhanced low end because that's in my experience, that's what almost screwed me up. It was it was so mm. boomy. You know, I was playing like rolls on the toms, like all I heard was just, <laughs> which is fine when you're just listening to music. You know, it's like oh, all that bass, you can feel it. You guys, you just you really need Skype to know what face I, I like. I just saw Mike's motorboat face, and it was awesome. <laughs> that's what it felt uh, like. That's what I was like. Yeah. Whoa, what is going on here? So, you know, and, wow, well, and, that's good to know. And these aren't in, in my non-custom molds. They seal pretty well. Like I, when I'm recording at home, I don't care. I'll use anything. I'll use headphones. I'll use the non-custom molds. I don't hear a huge difference. Okay. But when I'm trying to play with other musicians and I really have to hear the articulation of their notes, yeah. I mean, it was it was almost a train wreck. And you and I are about to both be demo boys for a new product that Ultimate Ears is making, right? Yeah, are, the are you UE, getting a set of those UE six plus? Yeah, aren't they yeah. supposed to be like made for drummers and they are, enhanced for drummers? From what I remember them explaining, they're priced at a point that almost anyone can afford, but they give you a lot of nice quality that you would get from the 11s or something. Anyone that's getting into professional in-ears. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're still in that. I think they're probably, I think they retail for five ninety nine. Um Yeah, but for a custom so old in-ear, that's about as... Right. I mean, so yeah, it's supposed to be a drummer kind of focused. I don't know what that means. That's I'm kind of worried that it means tons of exaggerated low end, and right. I won't be able to use I mean, it. I'm excited though because I have, like I said, I have the 399 ones, I have the 1400 ones, and now I'll have that mid one where it's like I would love to recommend all my students. Yeah, you should totally get UE11s, and they're like, wait, you mean for a drum set price, <laughs> yeah. I could get a pair of in ears? It's like. Ugh. Well, it's really cool on flights because you don't hear babies cry. <laughs> it's like I, I really can't recommend that my students get those. 
unless they were being maybe audio engineers somewhere. But it's like, honestly, on tour, get the 399 ones. Um, and the one thing that I do love, and I'm sure that West Tone does this or maybe some of the other companies, I just don't have any experience with anybody other than Ultimate Ears. But I just love that they keep my ears on file. And yeah. that's rad. Like when this whole thing came up, Mike Diaz reached out and he said, um, how are your current ears fitting? I said, great. He's like, cool. Then we'll just make them based off your current molds because we already have your ears here, your impressions here. Uh, that was awesome that I didn't have to go back to an audiologist, audiologist get new in-ear impressions um, because a year and a half ago, I already had it done. So that stuff's good. Yeah. Um, you know, all right, buddy. Well, you want to – oh, go ahead. Well, say, did you get your the 3D printing in-ear mold thing that they were doing? I did doing? not. That was pretty no. neat. I think you can go into whatever their, wherever their headquarters is. You can get a 3D scanning rather than having yeah. to put the gooey stuff down in your And ear. I've heard that that's a, just a, a little bit more – um, precise than the gooey stuff. Mm. Um, but, uh, I, I did mine. I, and honestly, just so you guys know, even though it's a process, like I said, it's so worth it. I would recommend their UE fours or whoever. It doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, any company that makes decent in-ears, their lowest line of in-ears is going to be about $399, which is the male thing that we say where my wife would tell me that's $400. I would say, <laughs> no, no, babe, let's keep, the, <laughs> let's keep the three in the front. It's three ninety nine. makes me feel better. Um, but so $400 is about as low as you're going to be able to go for quality in-ears. But I, like I said, I use my uh, $400 ones all the time in all of my uh, travel stuff. So all my clinics, all my drum festivals. And I honestly, I'm never thinking, oh, I wish this was enhanced. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see what these new drummer geared in here sound like all right buddy you want to get into some stuff let's crank it so we've got a stack of oh goodness gracious a lot of questions oh my so. god it's a book <laughs> yeah Holy probably hell. about 50 pages here so let's try not to be too long-winded and let's get rolling mm-hmm. so our first well, yeah, one based off our intro we should be fine <laughs> yeah we're already wasted a quarter of the show <laughs> <laughs> all right first question comes from alistair can you recommend any books that will help with reading charts and forms? I'm considering applying for cruise ship work and need to sharpen my chart reading abilities. I Absolutely. Have, go I, ahead. You go first. I've got my suggestion would be Steve Fiddick's At First Sight. Uh, it covers exactly that chart reading, drum set, big band, that kind of stuff. All right. That was great. Uh, as, I, <laughs> as I look as fast as I can. Um. Okay, where is it? So there's, um, here we go. It's by Steve Houghton. It's called The Ultimate Drum Set Reading Anthology for the Working Drummer. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's diverse that's an, collection of drum that charts. One. That's from like the 90s, I think. Yeah, that's the Steve yep. Houghton book. And literally, there's cr- there's a whole chapter on cruise ship charts. So it's like these little handwritten scribbles. Right, right. But it comes with the audio so you can hear what it sounds like. So I think both of those work great. All right. Next one is from Andreas. He says, I am unable to play quarter notes on the bass drums and have them line up perfectly against a grid in my doll using a kick drum for a kick drum sample for aural comparison. It's only flaming slightly, but it's discernible. He says, I've been working through Jojo Mayer's DVD, um, but he's still not any more accurate using his methods versus when he just thinks on trying to line it up. So how can one improve this skill? Sitting for hours on end, simply attempting to hit the click just seems like a great way to practice not hitting the click. Uh, I, I mean, what was it that uh, Stephen Hawking said? There is no perfection in the universe, I'm paraphrasing. I mean, the most perfect thing about the universe is there's no perfection or something like that. Yeah, entropy. What's that mean? Oh, God. Don't make me look that up. 
Uh, it's uh, I don't want to even try because I've already been ripped to pieces by uh, everyone that's like. <laughs> well, first of all, oh wow, uh, it's a clothing company. <laughs> Um, All right, let's answer the question. Thermodynamic <laughs> quantity representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion to mechanical work often interpreted as the degree, the degree of disorder. There we go. Uh, the degree of disorder and randomness, randomness in the world. So, yes, you're right. Stephen Hawking said that. <laughs> so what was the answer? I would say it's impossible, uh, number one. Number two, uh, just slow it down. You have to be able to hear the, the accuracy at a slow tempo before you'll ever get to any kind of a speed and, and maintain accuracy. But you're chasing an impossible yeah. task. It's always going to flam unless you want that, like, hollow, fake programmed sound. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just uh, – I, yeah, I, I don't want my – I want my timing to be great but not that great that it's just completely mechanical. So yeah, good luck. Okay with a little bit of I'm okay with a little bit of flam. <laughs> uh, all right, I guess we answered it. I feel like we didn't. Did no, we just, did we just brush well, them off? <laughs> yeah, kind of. But we're just saying, like, ah, oh, man, don't don't spend all your time chasing that ghost. Like that's yeah, um, yeah. You're not going to lose you know, gigs because you're flaming ten milliseconds with a click track. Exactly. You're not going exactly. To. Okay, next one comes from Mike. I've been working on Tommy Igo's uh, warm up. Uh, I guess it's a paradiddle exercise. So I can play everything down. It's a combo of single paradiddles, double paradiddles, and triple paradiddles. The last line has all of those together. So his question is, uh-huh. says he's been working on it consistently for a couple months, okay. uh, but he's still struggling to get it clean. I think it's especially that last line where everything's combined into one. So hmm. anything we could suggest. He says, I've worked on them at slow tempos, and it's still not working. I can tell you right now, the one thing you need to do is get rid of these pr- this predetermined thing that it has to be this line that Tommy wrote. That will be great for you to come back to. But singles, doubles, and triples as 16th notes need to become a sound for you. So if I'm playing singles, I'm definitely not thinking paradiddle, paradiddle, right, left, right, right. I can't think that. I'm thinking bump, bump, bump. And then if I'm doubles, dump, dump, ch- dump, dump. Dump, 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 triples, dump, 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 dump. So I just I take paradiddles at like 80 BPM and I just start singing rhythms. And I will do that along to a song for four minutes, just creating melodies with those. And then single paradiddle, double paradiddle, triple paradiddle, they all go out the out the door for me or out the window. And now I'm just singing these accented patterns. So I would slow it down and work on that. And then you won't be tongue tied by going dun, 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 you know, it'll be way easier. Yeah. That's pretty much the only thing to add it. I was going to say, it sounds like it's a mental issue of not being able to process the phrase, the longer phrase rather than the pieces. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I would definitely, yeah, d- drop all of all of the paradiddle notes out except for the accents, and then just sing that because it'll be something like you know, bump, bump, dump, 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 dump. Right. Go, yeah. Okay. Cool. Dig it. All right. Good luck. So next one is from Sean. Uh, similar. Can you give any advice on how to avoid brain freeze slash body freeze when playing live? It happens to me mainly when I'm tired or nervous during a gig. I go to play a fill, and I 
that I shouldn't have to think about, but my body forgets what to do in the moment and stalls. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's really unsettling. Yeah, it is. It definitely happens to me, for sure. Mm. Um, I think it usually happens to me when I'm thinking ahead of myself too far. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not just focused on what's happening right now and I start thinking about what's coming up or that hard song that's later in the set list and I just... Mm, That's the worst, man. Getting ahead of myself. Yeah, I I agree. I think being in the moment, but not being in the moment on a hyper-focused level drumming-wise, you're in the moment musically. Um, And you kind of have to trust that your right foot, your left foot, your right hand and your left hand, you put them through their paces. You've worked them out. Now it's time to let them just go on autopilot. And then, you know, if I've, if I'm playing with my band and I'm thinking about like, am I too loud? Uh, am I rushing? Am I dragging? When I'm thinking about those things, the drums are just on autopilot and some of the most beautiful drumming comes out of my hands and feet. Cause I'm not thinking about licks and chops and making my guitar player smile when I, you know, go over the bar line or anything like that. Um, and so I, I find that folk being hyper-focused on the musicality of what I'm playing in the moment takes my drumming and just completely lets it be free. Yep. I think maybe, I mean, some pre-show rituals to kind of get yourself settled might help. Uh, I do a lot For of sure. that where I just, no matter what, no matter how distracted and chaotic it might be, I give myself just a couple minutes to just settle settle down, just chill. Yeah. That, that might yeah. help. All right, next one's from Ian. He says... Um, He's referencing a past episode when I mentioned that students up to the age of seven are not ever going to have their time together, <laughs> which I still I still stand by. Uh, <laughs> I love that. It's so, so absolute. So he says, it's impossible. this helped uh, remind me of the learning process and what are realistic expectations for my students. So is there a point when you tell parents that they may be wasting money on lessons if the student cannot focus for 30 seconds at a time? Um Man, that's a great question. I had to go through that um, before I started Mike'sLessons.com. I mean, obviously, I did private teaching pretty much since I was 17, but I had a school called the Drum Lab that, uh, you know, we had uh, over 200 students there between me and six other teachers. And that was something for sure that I had to talk to the parents about. And I said, look, don't expect that there's going to be this monthly recital where your kid's going to come out and play Fool in the Rain by Zeppelin. But I'm keeping your son or daughter around this instrument. I'm always making it fun. I don't want your son or daughter to look at this instrument and see it as homework. This is a fun thing. This is a release. Uh, This is, you know, this is like playtime. So for me, no, it's about keeping them around it so that when they're 11 and they're 12 and they're starting to choose things and not having their parents choose them for them, this is one of those things that they already have a slight edge about. And there's no way even those little 30-second chunks of focus won't benefit them in the future. Maybe they'll all of a sudden just be better at fractions than the other kids because they understand quarters, eighths, and sixteenths. And uh, and maybe just at some kid's party, they can sit down. Uh, my my uh, What's a... What's a kid called when your brother has him? Nephew or niece? Nephew. Yeah, <laughs> nephew. Yeah, Jesus, I'm so not a family guy. <laughs> Anyways, my nephew was just over at the house. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> just let me have it. <laughs> you know I don't know anything about children or my months. Okay, so um, my nephew was over at the house, and he was playing uh, Believe by Imagine Dragons on my drum set. Mm. And he's been taking lessons for quite a while with somebody in L.A., and I've never taught him a thing because I just feel like it might mess up our 
relationship. But anyways, he was playing. He can play that song. And it was like it was a cool little party trick. Little kid gets on the drum Mm -hmm. set and plays Believe by Imagine Dragons. I put on the Sonos blasting through the whole house. His sisters are dancing to it. And it it was awesome. So I don't think his lessons are a waste of time at all. He came into a professional drummer's drum cave and just dropped the heat on a song. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, I mean, I I had to let go of the the strictness of. You know, if you're not going to practice and you're not going to do what I'm asking you to do, right. then we have to move on. I kind of expecting that any of my students who aren't, <clears throat> excuse me, in high school are not going to practice. They're just not I going agree. to. They're never going to yep. do. I mean, I I wanted to be a professional drummer and I never practiced in middle school. Like I just right. didn't really. I played a lot, yeah, but I just I never played. practiced what I was told to practice. Yeah, exactly. Like I sight read my my tests for band class and all that stuff. Right. Uh, but I do have a student who. He could, in some some aspects, some teachers would say this kid doesn't have the aptitude for drums. Okay, he just cause he just really can't grasp the idea of a steady pulse for whatever reason. He might be like nine or ten, but okay. every time he comes in, he basically repeats the same thing. He's like, "I love playing drums because even if I'm upset when I come in, I always feel better when I leave." So I'm like, "Well, then we're just gonna keep on doing what we're doing." Yeah, I mean, what the <laughs> heck, know? man? I mean, that's. <laughs> I think that's also a difference between us and Europe. You know, Europe has their whole grading system. Like you have to pass your level ones, your level twos, and your private drum teacher does that with you. Um, mm-hmm. So these kids are going through this. I mean, everyone, even adults, I got to pass my level ones, my level twos. And it's, uh, you know, for us, if you want to play drums, play them, hit them. Yeah. I don't care. Like, honestly, I just want the instrument to bring some fun to you. I do think the better you get at the instrument, the more fun you have with it. So, at some point, you will feel like, okay, I've played Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day a thousand times. I think I'm ready for something else. It's like, well, then you're going to have to practice because that next song, you want to learn Dig by Incubus? I'm sorry. There's fills in there. There's dynamics. There's ghost notes. So let's learn the skills that will allow you to play these songs that you want to play. Yeah. Songs are usually the gateway to skills for most drummers that aren't taking this professional level seriously they say i want to play that song and i say okay well there's skills in there that you don't have so let's learn those skills then you can play that song dig it all right that was a long um, answer all right so our next one <laughs> let's roll through we've got one from oh shoot i don't have a name looks like it's sam so sam uh yeah it's from sam my question is do either of you know of any limitations or have opinions on the pros versus cons of using vintage style double-ended lugs on like a new custom drum so he's referencing what we'll find on the cnc player date or the ludwig club dates so you've got the center piece with long uh, tension oh the yeah 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 um okay so the single um but are they the single tension ones where you just turn one not single tension no but okay you know like the they have just like one lug casing in the middle of the shell single point yes Yep. yep So he's. I know from experience that the longer those tension rods are, the more likelihood they're going to get bent, the more likelihood they're going to pull out. <laughs> you know. Mm, yeah. So it, it's a cool look, but if you're really hard on your drums, or if you're going to be taking them all over the place and throwing them in a lot of clubs and cars, yeah, I would caution against those personally. They look. So cool, if you want something that just has a, a cool look, that's going to sit in the spare bedroom of your house, and that's your drum room, and it's not moving a lot, then. Now, what about the shell itself? I mean, it seems like our goal starting in the 90s with free-floating everything was to get as much of the mass off of the shell as possible. Do you find that those drums resonate a lot or sound great, or do they sound kind of thin? Um, I don't notice any any difference with that. Okay. I do notice that 
<clears throat> excuse me, tuning can be a little more squirrely because again, you've got longer tension rods. It's you know, it's a little bit more inaccurate, I think. Uh, right. At least on some of the old stuff. The new stuff, I have no idea. But I, I don't like having six to eight inches of a tension rod on the side of the drum. That if you knock it, it's going to get bent, and then you're you're right. messed up. Right. Um, so I wouldn't suggest them unless you just love that look. Right. Cool. Move on. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I have nothing to say. I don't <laughs> own any of those drums. Do you want to uh, rock some? Audio questions? Yeah, let's do that. So let's, uh, you know what, before we do that, we have to thank Dream Symbols for sponsoring this haphazard episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're crushing it. Good. Uh, so I've, I've become a pretty big fan of one of their artists, Nick Baglio. And I've just found a video on his Facebook page. I'm, hopefully I can grab the audio and drop it in. But it sounds like, like he's using one of their 24-inch uh, anniversary rides and this sounds like 80s Weckl uh, drums. Super cool. So let's drop it in. Really? bags <laughs> getting it pretty killer i mean he's got that thuddy tom sound i mean the symbol sounds awesome too but that thuddy yeah. like weckle you know like that would be a tom sound that would make my non-custom molds go insane <laughs> so anyway that's that symbol's gorgeous by the way it is and they're all different i think they're all one of a kind pretty cool i'm sure they have cool. some left so check out dream uh get yourself one of their 10th anniversary rides i don't think you'd be disappointed uh, all right where we at audio questions well, which one are we going to start with? We're going to s- up to you, buddy. Well, I've got Michael. Michael Bosch up first. Boom. Let's check him Let's out. give it a listen. Hey, Mike and Mike. This is Mike Bosch coming at you from Massachusetts. Love you guys. Definitely love what you're doing with the podcast. Look forward to each and every episode. Keep them coming. My question was regarding practice journaling and your thoughts on it, any methods you guys use, whether it be, you know, apps, any way you set up your notebooks, you know, something like that. Um, anyways, looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Uh, let's keep on crushing it in 2018 like that. <laughs> nice. That's epic. I always forget that we have this and then something on social media will happen where somebody yeah. will say, uh, keep at your side hustle. Or, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how would you? I'm like, oh, you listen to the podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, yeah. do, do you have any idea how? Or uh, uh, somebody just said, uh, I, I've got my money on you. Keep the key. And I'm like, what? And like, uh, oh, you, oh, that's right. We made a bet that I was going to keep that drum key on my snare for like a year or something. Well, speaking um, of which, I got an email from someone. I can't remember who it was. I'll find it. But they said my punishment 
for the the uh-huh. key bit should be I have to hold Benny Gribb sand ride for like ten minutes. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> It makes my oh, teeth hurt. That would just be your pure torture. <laughs> now, for anyone that doesn't listen to our podcast a lot, he loves the sound. Just doesn't like the feel of it in his hands. Oh no, the bottom side right of that awesome. symbol is awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to Michael's question. Practice journaling, keeping track of our practice and our growth on the instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a tough thing. Do you? Well, first of all, do you <clears throat> journal any of your stuff? I have at various stages of the game. So I think for me, journaling was really important when I was trying to discover new stuff to kind of keep okay. record of. I really like this sticking. I like this pattern or I transcribed this beat and I want to make sure I practice it tomorrow. And then also um, when I'm practicing technique stuff and I really want to keep track of my starting and ending tempos. Um, that's kind of it. I don't, I'm not a habitual journaler. I've tried it over the years of like just in life journaling things, but um, I think I kind of have a decent memory, so stuff like that I don't yeah. need to journal. But uh, I think it's valuable. It just depends for me. It just depends on if you need to, if I need to be more organized during a certain batch of time, I'll do more kind of journaling my practice. One thing that makes a difference, I think, is that you and I have access to a drum set seven days a week and almost play seven days a week. Right. It's a little different, I think, for somebody that maybe practices on Monday and won't see a drum set again till Friday. It's I would say in that situation, it is important to write these things down because you won't you won't be able to remember. Right. Um, it'd be like somebody that goes to the gym once a week being like, what did I curl on Monday? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I'll just choose that one um, where it's a much better to go. Oh, I curled 25s today. I'm going to try the thirties. So, uh, and it also depends on what you're trying to do with the drum set. For me, I definitely have a journal and I think this is important. Find a journal and a writing utensil, a device, whether it be a pen or a pencil, that is super important to you because then you're just less likely to toss it to the side. So I got this bamboo pen that I really wanted, and I got this cool journal. Um, actually, when I was at Magnolia Market, uh, the Fixer Upper show in Texas, and it's important to me, and I, and I don't lose it, but I don't use it to keep track of my progress. I use it for ideas because mm-hmm. I hate when I come up with something really cool, especially as an educator where I'm like, oh, that would be such a fantastic course. Um, I just I write those things down right away. The last thing I want to do is like run from the drum set, go into my computer, write the whole thing out in a computer. It's like, I want to write it down in the moment, put my book right on my floor, Tom, and write it out. And then maybe write out 10 more ideas. And then I'll bring that to the computer. I'll groove scribe the whole thing and save those bookmarks and everything. So, uh, yeah, I definitely keep a journal, but it's, it's for new ideas, not for my progress. Now, do you, I think it might be just showing our generation, but <clears throat> I find it more valuable to actually write stuff with ink on paper it kind right. of ingrains in my memory more than like I have notes on my iPhone that I have never looked at and I don't remember why <laughs> I wrote them. And I'm like, what does that even right. mean? But if I write it down on paper for whatever reason, it, I, I remember exactly the context and why I did it. I, I agree. I, I haven't been able, I I've downloaded every app there is for notes and for to do lists and everything. Um, and at my drum set, I always have my phone is right next to me. And then I have my iPad is sitting on my minor table I have those right next to me and I'm still writing things down on paper. Uh, Just, well, one writing notation by hand is still really fast and it just, I don't know. It's like, it's more, like you said, it's more ingrained when I write it down. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's almost like I write it and then I never have to look at it again because the act of writing the notation yeah, locked it into my it. memory. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah. Had to get some some brain scientist to help us out with that one. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right. So our what next did you one? study in college? Brain science. Brain science. Not, science of the brain. You want to go to Christopher Kelly. Who's next? Christopher Kelly. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. This is Chris from Des Moines, Iowa. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Um, I just now heard about it maybe like a month ago. So I have just been slamming in the episodes and just been nerding out. I'm loving it. So keep it up, guys. Really love it. I got a two-parter question for you. Um, part one is my question is why is it that there are so many professional and technically proficient drummers in the world who refuse to play double bass pedal in my mind if you're a drummer that is striving to be the most technically proficient that you can then why would you not want to add something to your setup that can not only strengthen your weak foot but also allow you the option to be able to play so much more on your bass drum I view a bass drum to be just as musical as a snare, just as musical as a tom. And I don't limit myself to using only one arm on my snare and tom, so why would I limit myself to using only one leg? I want you guys to discuss that. and see. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And then also, part two, is who in the world came up with the idea that doing single-stroke rolls on a bass drum is metal? Why is it that double bass really hasn't expanded far outside of the metal and hard rock scene i'm a huge thomas lang fan so that's why i'm very passionate about double bass playing so i'd love to hear your guys thoughts on the issue of double bass and love the podcast. Thanks a lot. All right, All right. So Chris coming out with Christopher the double had, kick. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had some stuff to get off his chest. <laughs> he came in with the nice compliments, and then you could just tell, especially by then, he's like, and then why the hell is it that these son of... Uh, that was awesome. I think he makes some good points, though. I think he makes some really good points. Uh, let's start with the beginning, which is why are there technically proficient drummers? Why does Brian Blade not play more double bass? Yeah, or uh, there's a lot of people. I think it for me that would be 100. percent Well, what music are you playing? Does that music require yeah, exactly. double bass? Is anyone ever would anyone ever ask you to play double bass in whatever style or genre you're in? The other thing is, let's take style out of it. What does double bass make the listener feel? I'm sorry, but um, if you played, let's say you played a marching piece on a concert snare drum. That will not – and Chris's point is they're the same thing. They're both musical. That will not make me feel the same as if you played that exact same marching piece if Virgil played it with his feet on a 22-inch kick. Yeah, totally. I would feel different because of the frequencies that that drum produces. The bass yeah. drum is thunderous. It hits you in your chest. The snare drum is above the waist. You hear it with your ears. You feel it with your mind. And so I think that they're the drums themselves are just so different on a feel level. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, exactly. I mean, really fast double bass to me becomes like an overwhelming experience, but a really fast double stroke roll can be really kind of satisfying. Soothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, they're two very different things. I, I mean, I've heard, you know, one of my goals when I was in grad school was I want to be a bebop drummer who uses a double pedal, but not for, for typical double bass stuff. 
But I very okay. quickly just realized, like, no one in that genre wants me to do that. <laughs> like, it's just not expected. Well, especially if me. you're going to be a bebop drummer, here's what your double bass is going to sound like. Maul. Exactly. <laughs> right? You have no, you have no attack. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. uh, okay. Yeah, um, I don't, I'm not but sure I think, that, I mean, I practiced it, and I at one point I thought, yes, I absolutely 100% need to be able to play double bass and with either foot as well as with my hands. But ever since that hypothetical and when I've actually got into working in professional situations, it's been asked of me once, and that wasn't right. even really necessary. It was just more for like those color, like quick flourishes. Right. I think, Christopher, like one thing you have to understand, buddy, is just that we are all different, and everyone plays what they want to play. So it sounds like you yeah. want to play double bass, so yeah. you should totally play double bass, and you'll be great at it. Um, and if you say, okay, but I want to bring double bass into the singer-songwriter genre, do it. Yeah. The singer and songwriters in Boise, watch out, because Chris is coming with his double pedal. <laughs> He's going well, uh, to be awesome. That's where it becomes, well, if you're forcing the issue, then you're not going to get hired for that work. Like, exactly. You have to be careful. Yeah. I, well, and that's what I'm kind of joking about is you're going to find out right away that they're going to be like, Hey, that thing that you keep doing, can you never do that again? Right. And then, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you don't go home and put on, you know, some brand X or, you know, some Thomas Lang tracks and do that stuff. Yeah, is exactly. Play the drums how you want to. All right, next up. All right. So let's go back to the print, the analog questions. This one comes from Davis. Um, he went to Nam. And so he says, after getting to test out a lot of new gear, I've decided I finally want to take the plunge on a new wood snare. Currently playing a Pearl Sensitone Steel. Great snare. Um, says, ideally, I would like to have a lower and drier sound for some of the music I like to play. Um, I'm in the budget of around $400. So I wonder if you have any insight on what you might mm. recommend. <clears throat> That's kind of the squirrely price range for a wood snare yeah. drum because you're going to – you might be able to find something used, something really nice used, like an old I was just going to say – or something. Yeah, the um, I've had the 60s Gretsch Dixieland snare on my kit now for a while. I believe uh, – oh, no, that the Slingerland – the Slingerland one that you and I both have, that's mahogany, right? Mahogany poplar, I'm pretty sure. Yep. yep. And then this is um, maple and poplar, and both those drums. So the Slingerland uh, that you and I have uh, with the blue Duco finish, and then this Gretsch Dixieland, both are used about three hundred bucks mm-hmm. or under. And I've I'm the '60s Gretsch is now becoming my wood snare. It is I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't taken it's on the kit right now. I haven't taken it off in a while, and it just it's like oh yeah, I forgot how. These sound, especially like with just one gel, and you just take out a little bit of that overtone. It's like, God, these sound like samples. These are amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I I agree with you. I think in that range, maybe get like, especially if you have four hundred dollars to spend, you can get one of those drums that isn't beat up. You can get one of the really good ones. Yeah, I'm sure there's some other uh, other options, but oh I, for sure, I know that price range is is if you go for like a new kind of shiny new toy, the wood eh, it might not be the best quality wood. You just don't know. So yeah, I would hate I for agree. you to get a snare and be like, oh, it looks great, but it sounds like a hollow log, yeah. you know? Kind. <laughs> so, yeah, I would definitely shop at the vintage market. Um, if you need to have something brand new, let us know, and then we'll dial it in a little bit better for you. All right. This one comes from Ian. Can you suggest some tips on locking into the time during a count-off by another band member? 
Yeah, he's oh, man, kind I, of referencing bad time count-offs from guitarists and singers. Right. Well, I mean, if it's locking into time in general, just so that you play the time they counted off, I'd be immediately singing a subdivision faster than what they're counting. Um, <laughs> right. J- just so that, or, or maybe even a rhythm. You know, if, if yeah. they, if soon as they do this, I might be going flap it to a second, boom, 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 boom. Otherwise, really, all you're doing is. Well, I've got the quarter notes down. It's like, okay, but does the song start with quarter notes? Probably not. So, you know, if, if I know that my first groove is, uh, tss, gats, and they do this, I'm probably going to be thinking, chit, do, chit, do, chit, a flap, a doom, 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 So I have that subdivision predetermined. What about you? Yeah, I think that, so I, you know, I'm kind of reading between the lines. So that would be if the person counting off has good time and actually knows what the tempo right. should be. I think if you go to the other side where someone's just real wishy washy, then you might want to just kind of give them some some stick clicks to go along yeah. with their count to right, kind, of, yeah. kind of get everyone roped into the, the same spot. Right. Um, and then I was laughing with what you've said because you said you're immediately thinking f- a faster subdivision. I was thinking immediately think 5 BPM faster because you know that's where the song's actually going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Good point. If they have real bad time, I just pull out the mallets and give them a nice roll on the cymbals. <laughs> I'm not committing until you do. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> the mallets oh, down the toms. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had it right. Sing the groove for the song while there they're counting go. it off. Yeah. All yeah, right. That's it. Casper, he says, I play a few gigs in very bright sounding rooms with concrete walls and floors, and I play mostly jazz. Is there a snare drum that would be easier to control in that situation volume wise? I think we're going back again. Old vintage drum. I have a WFL. Six and a half by fourteen mahogany that is so dry and so awesome to play, so pleasing to play. It's got that dark. Mm. It sounds like an old Blue Note record. Yeah. I, I've not found a brand new drum that could do that. No, I agree, and I think also too, if you want to, if dryness is what you want, that sounds perfect. And if if volume is the biggest problem, what? What are you laughing at? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, but if uh, do you have some double entendres swimming around? <laughs> no, no, no. Let's keep going. Okay. Keep rolling. Um, but if, if if volume is is the key, I mean, obviously, I think that shallower drums just have a lower volume ceiling. But I also don't think there's any drum in the world that your technique couldn't fix. So I kind of feel like I'd be just be working day and night on your dynamics. I know that when I asked Mark Juliana about like I saw him warming up on a pad. And his sticks, he was blazing, by the way, and his sticks were going no higher than an inch and a half. And I was like, dude, do you practice like that? And he's like, you should see where I have to play and how close human beings are to my drum set. Um, So he's like, yeah, I practice like this. And then he can perform like that. So next one's from Danny. How do you explain to non-musicians why clapping on the one and three is bad? (laughs) That reminds me of like my dumb question to Steve Jordan. How do you know if you're grooving or not? And he just kind of looked at me cross-eyed like, well... (laughs) If you're asking that question, then you're probably uh, you're not, not grooving. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I just put your hand on their shoulder and say, look, it's better for everyone. <laughs> Clap on two and four. <laughs> you hear that snappy thing that keeps happening? Put your, put your claps there. Stop doing it with oh, the one that goes man. boom. I mean, I can try to answer it with what I recall from music theory classes was the one and three is the strong beat. You don't need to reinforce it. It's already strong. Everyone can feel it. The two and four Mm. is the counter, the counter to the strong beat. So 
it just gives the whole thing a better flow rather than having this big one, three, everyone just right. like trudging down the road. Yeah. I, there, there's two options of clapping for people that are, are struck with the um, affliction that I am, which is called being Caucasian. Clap on two and four or clap on all four, but never clap on one and three. <laughs> you can clap on all four and get away with it just because you're just happy, right? You're just like blissfully non-rhythmic, like yay, 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 yay. <laughs> that's what my that's what that's my affliction. Oh man! All right, Curtis, what can you two recommend for beginning to teach drums? I realize not everyone makes a great teacher, but what resources could help one improve teaching techniques and methods in an effort to give possible students the best experience? This would be for mm. face-to-face private lessons. Yeah, I don't think – well, Michael have his own answer, but I, I personally don't think you need to find uh, material as much as you need to think about how you got good at the drums and you probably had drum idols. You need to find some teaching idols. So find people that deliver information and study their mannerisms, study their excitement and the way that they give this information to you – and then have teaching idols. I can tell you right now, Brian Cox, Brian Green, and probably those are like my two main guys. And then uh, Peter McKinnon. Those are probably my three main teaching idols. I have no idea who so, any of those are. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's the great thing is it doesn't matter. Uh, two are uh, astrophysicists and one is just a uh, YouTube cinematographer. So it doesn't matter who they are. What matters is you find somebody outside of your field that delivers information that you become the student. You go, wow, that really clicked. I love this guy's personality. I love this girl's attitude. And then you start to idolize teachers the way that you idolized drummers. It just comes down. It's how, I mean, if you wrote us this question, you clearly want to be better at teaching. So yeah. um, I think you just have to treat the delivery of information is an art form in itself. So start to study that art and study people that do it and do it in a way that you go, man, that really clicks with me. Uh, and passion is the key, you know? Yeah. All right. Next one from, this is Rick, R-I-K, Rick from Stockholm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that I know exactly what he's asking. I'm trying to figure it out. What is the correct term for the different parts which can be hit on a drum or cymbal? So what would you call the head, the rim of a snare, and the cup, bow, and edge of a cymbal? He says, I've seen articulation, but that describes the music in the playing style, staccato versus legato. The word part seems more associated with a score, maybe area. Do you know what he's asking? <laughs> Bro, I, <laughs> I I actually just, no, I was just reading the label on this kombucha here because I figured you'd take that one. I have no clue what's going on. Uh, um, well, what I'm, I guess what I'm wondering is, is he asking what would they describe it as in a chart? Is that what he's saying? Instead of saying symbol, you would say bow of the symbol on the chart? Or is he just saying in general? What is the correct term for the different parts which can be hit on a drum slash symbol? The correct term for the subcategory of parts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't um, think there is a term. I don't. I don't. Not that I know of. I mean, I don't think we could even agree that a rim click is is not a rim shot. I mean, right, the terminology I is so confusing. Rim click versus cross stick. I mean, what is an cross actual stick, cross rim stick rim shot? Yeah, uh, but we're talking about parts of a symbol in a drum. I don't think there's a category. I mean, no. But if anyone can do it, it's the Swedes. Yeah, maybe you could help us out. I mean, the one that I have a hard time with is, do you call it the bow or the body of a symbol? 
Mm. Like, what is it? And I, I kind of interchange it because I, I hate, I really don't like the word bow, but it seems to be the one that works best, but I just hate that word right. for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you call it when you have your left hand in cross stick position and then you hit that stick? Stick shot. It doesn't even, that's called a stick shot. Yeah. Stick on stick. Is that real? Yeah. Stick shot. Nice. <laughs> I just got smarter. Thank you, Mr. Dawson. Checks in the mail. Well, it wouldn't be in the cross stick position. You just have like the bead of the stick right. in the middle of the head. Right. But like it. if it was, but there's a lot of times where I'm in cross stick position and I play on the head and then I literally play on the stick like da da do, got it, da da do, got it. So, uh, but I, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about when you actually get this rim shot sound yeah, by having stick shot. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, stick tap, stick on stick. Again, there, I think drumming terminology is so insane anyway. Right. right. I mean, so you got cup versus bell. I use bell all the time, but cup makes sense too. Oh, I've never even heard of it called the cup. No, I mean, I, I think only, that's yeah. more common with the people who actually make the cymbals. They call it the okay. cup, different cup size or a different cup shape. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, Rick. Tried. There we go. <laughs> Crushed it. Mike and Mike, 2018, All right. crushing it in our side piece. I think we already covered. What is it? Side hustle. <laughs> well, with that lead in, we're going to get real deep on this one. This is from Michael. Oh, God. After rereading an interview with Lewis Hayes, which was in Modern Drummer back in August of last year, there was a question about whether or not swing can be taught. Um, and he essentially, Lewis Hayes essentially said he doesn't think it can be taught. So his question is, um, where's the actual question? Do you guys agree with Hayes' opinion? And if you have any experience trying to teach someone how to swing, and if so, what, how, what was your approach and how did it work? Um, I think it's a semantics. Can, can swing be taught? Yes. Can swing be learned? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, can, you can teach it's, someone it's a, the idea of swing, it, but you have to yeah, personally is. experience it and develop it. It is semantics because there's no way that anyone, including Lewis Hayes, came out of the womb swinging. So, yeah, exactly. You so to learn yes, it at some you, point. you must have learned it at some point. Now, I think where our gray area is, is having your teacher introduce you to albums that you need to listen to is that still teaching you swing i think it is i think me showing somebody a very tight swing on an album and saying hey i need you to obsess over this and now i'm going to show you more of the cool jazz style where we're going to really open up the swing into a triplet vibe and not have that tight swing of dang 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 now we're going to open it up to dang 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 I think that's still teaching because you're introducing the student to these albums that show that. Um, but I don't know that you could necessarily just give somebody a PDF that has never heard jazz and then throw them in an open mic jazz jam and expect them to swing their butts off. Like, yeah, um, right. Yeah. I guess so, that's yes, different. it's taught through experience. Yeah. I don't think you can. It might be kind of what Lewis was referring to. I don't think you can teach someone to play with emotion. <laughs> You can't teach I agree with that. that. That's something you right. have to discover. And I think that's kind of what he's like. Swing is an emotional human reaction to music. I agree. But I also think our teachers need to do a better job of using experience to help their students. It's like, why can't a drum teacher reach out to a horn player, a piano player, and a bass player and have an open jam 
at their teaching facility. It's like, you yeah. know, so I, I, I agree, but it's, I don't think that without the experience, you can get the proper art. I don't, I, I think the experience is the key. Listening is the key. Caring when you listen instead of just putting it on in the background. I think that's the key. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. I, think, yeah, I think it was largely semantics. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Can feel be taught? I mean, you can be guided towards what feels good and what doesn't, right? I right. Mean, you have to be eventually. <laughs> Someone has to yeah. show you what why Led Zeppelin yeah. sounds better than or feels better than other forms of rock. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. Like you said, no one comes right. out of the wound with all the skills. You have to learn them. Okay, Caleb. Right. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on if I should sell my first drum set. It's a pro export, and it's about 16 years old. I've added to it, and it's now up to being an eight-piece kit, but I haven't played it in a while. I own a set of DWs, so I'm going back and forth on whether or not I should sell it. Part of me wants to keep it for sentimental value, um, and if, as well as if my girls want to learn someday. But part of me thinks I should sell it, make some money, and let someone else enjoy them. Hmm, it's a good question. Uh, well, the export isn't going to – it's it's not something that's ever going to be a vintage kit that's going to just skyrocket in value because it was Pearl's entry-level drum set of the time. It will always stay that way. Um, so it's never going to be something that's just collected. So I wouldn't hold on to it to try to increase its value over the years. But I agree if you want to have a second kit to maybe teach someday so you can have two kits in a room or if you're – if your children want to learn, then I think it's a great idea to keep it. Yeah, I think for me, I'm not knowing your situation. Do you need the space? Then get rid of it. I mean, if you have space for it, keep it. But That's it. You know. Boom. You want to do uh, two more audio questions? Let's do it. So we've got um, – who's next? Let's do Steve Smith, not the drummer of Journey, but our other friend, Steve Smith. Hey, Mike and Mike. Steve here. Um, I love the podcast. Thanks very much for it. My question is related to the feel of the drums. I often encounter situations, uh, particularly in outdoor gigs, but it can happen in indoor gigs as well, where the drums, uh, for whatever reason, just don't feel right. They don't feel very forgiving. It feels like I'm playing on wood or formica, um, and I don't really know why this happens, uh, but it definitely affects the gig, the enjoyment level, and uh, psychologically how I play the drums when uh, they just don't feel right under my hands. I'm wondering if you guys ever encounter this and how you overcome it. Thanks very much. Well, Steve, uh, first of all, thanks for listening to the podcast, man. Thanks for the kind words. That phenomenon is real. I want to make sure you know that it's not in your head. Anyone that's ever played an outdoor gig knows that drums feel weird outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which I think you know, is so, I mean, largely because there's there's zero reverb. I mean, it's the most dry, dead possible experience of you hit a drum and the sound just keeps going you're not going to get anything coming back right. to you unless you're in a shell or something but yeah i mean i actually it's a, that's a great point you make i wonder if the drums actually feel any different at all or if our brain just interprets it differently because of what we're hearing i think it's 100 percent the sound but i mean that wow. that still makes yeah. it real though i mean it's still real they feel what oh it's you, yeah you, you are feeling them <laughs> differently <laughs> for whatever yeah, reason for sure yeah. Do you have anything to counteract that? I mean, because I, I know that when it happens to me, um, I just I don't know. I, I I just give myself five or ten minutes of the first song or second song or whatever to say, OK, if I just let go and I stop fighting the fact that this is different, eventually my body will accept this as the new norm and we can move forward. 
Yeah, I think for me, the only, if possible, I try to be more careful with my monitor mix and make sure that I get a little bit more bass drum or a little bit more of something that fills it out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but largely, it ends up being just me forgetting about the drums and just focus on the singer, just focus on the guitar player, focus on the crowd, mm-hmm. just forget about the drums. Try to get mm-hmm. transcend outside of your the riser and just experience the whole thing because it's usually a festival and there's something funny going on. You might see somebody yep. dancing weird over in the corner. That's how I get you get through it because it does it all. Every every outdoor gig I've ever played has been it's not been perfect. Right? From, yeah. No, I, I agree. So that's usually how I do, it. and not playing, you know, not playing in the same room all the time. You might not have the opportunity to go out, but go out and play in other other club sessions, whatever. Get out there where it's going to be weird and experience it. You know, embrace the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable most of the time. Yeah, it's just the way it is. I agree with that. There you go. All right, last audio question is from this is Tom Smith. Another Smith. We got two Smiths in one episode. How about that? Hey, no. Hey, Mike and Mike. My name is Tom. I would like to thank you two for putting on an amazing podcast. You guys always make me feel like I'm in the room with you, and I love it. I have a question about how to get over the mental block of getting back into serious projects. I've been playing for most of my life, went to music school, got a degree in music ed, and landed a job teaching middle school. Ever since I moved and started teaching two years ago, I haven't been able to put in the serious time and instrument like I used to. I absolutely love my job and my students and have been having a great time developing and improving as an educator, but now I feel like I'm ready to reintroduce my own serious practice back into my life, and I'm having trouble getting over the fact that I know that I won't be in the same place as I was when I was in school and playing several hours a day for four years. Do you guys have any thoughts on ways I can right-size these doubts? Thanks for your time and take care. Tom, please tell me that you are reading that because if that's how well-spoken you are, just on the cuff, you make Mike and I look like morons because <laughs> we can't get through half a sentence without saying something moronic like side piece. And you just knocked that out of the park. That was awesome. I can't even read an email without stammering over myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Sorry, the the deliverer of education of education inside of me says that was rad. Yeah, uh, that was great, man. Uh, OK, so. This is so common, right? We have somebody that had our exact upbringing and then right around college, life happened. Got married, had kids, got a real job and whatever. And then all of a sudden they're like, what happened to my drumming? Yeah. Uh, This is, I'd say, the story of 80% of the adults that attend my drum camps. This is what's happened in their world. Mm. And so the drums take on a new role. They can't be what they once were because you don't have the time for that. But they can be something even better. Um, They can be your vacation from reality is what we call it around here. They can be the thing that you're still growing at that is in a great way. You'll never, ever catch the end of this thing. You'll never. What are you drinking, dude? Protein powder. Look at you. Whey protein. I've been been watching that (laughs) dark chocolate gunk file down your throat for the last couple hours i'm like what are you drinking are we gonna answer a question or what (laughs) yes i'm just saying okay so so how does he re-attack his practice plan i'm gonna have my my healthy cayenne cleanse kombucha (laughs) while you answer this rocket i again 
this is exactly what happened to me when I got the job at Modern Drummer. I, I no longer could just practice. The big thing was transitioning from the hypothetical, what do I want to practice and wish I could do? And, and you know, what could I maybe potentially have to be expected to play on the drum set? It came down to what do I need to practice? What mm-hmm. do I absolutely have to get better at in order to get the work that I want to get? And also... Uh, I've learned more about myself. Like I've grown more as a human being in, the, in that time period. And drums have been a vehicle for me to open up more, more expressive. Mm-hmm. And so I use my practice time on the kit more to just kind of, you know, explore my own subconscious rather than like, let me get better at that, that 30 second note lick. Like I just have right. so fewer specific things I'm practicing. It's more of just kind of be open on the drum set. And if not, right. what am I doing? What's the technical thing I've got to practice to get more, you know, free? So I don't go. Right. I don't not like a new book comes out. I'm like, man, I wish I had six months to practice that book. So I've kind of right. let go of that for me. It's yeah. like, what do I need to practice that'll make me more open, more musical, more in control, more expressive, and have more fun playing the instrument? Yeah, and I think also as an adult, if you really, really put the focus in. I think your four hours of you being a 16-year-old dude, you could easily do that inside of an hour now because you can just be so much more hyper-focused and you can actually hold yourself accountable. Or when I look back at my practice, maybe as a teenager I was doing six hours of drumming a day, but there was a whole lot of playing along to Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not that I wouldn't consider that practice, but it wasn't the kind of work that I can get done now in an hour, which, I mean... I know that people may have a tough time understanding this, but my whole day is built around things like this podcast and doing podcast interviews for other podcasts and then filming videos. I, I'm not practicing 10 hours a day. If I was, I'd be headlining every drum festival in the world because I'd have I'd be the one dude who's 40 and still practicing 10 hours a day. But I, I'm not. So um, I, I usually try to get in at least an hour a day of, of focused practice. And um, but I, I, I think Mike and I answered this in our first episode ever. Just start. Just practice. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. Don't worry too much. Just go practice. Have fun, Tom. You got this, buddy. Um, And maybe set up some things for yourself that cause you to practice. Like you said, you teach kids. Maybe set up a thing where you're going to give the kids a drum clinic. That'll make you practice. Yeah, You'll know exactly what to practice. Yeah, and by the way, I I know Tom, and he actually plays really well. So just just quit down it and just start practicing, dude. (laughs) (laughs) We got your back, back, buddy. (laughs) Come on. We need you. We need you. All right. I think that's good, right? Yeah, we didn't even touch this stack. (laughs) We've still got so many more to go. (laughs) We did our best. Uh, we'll, We'll... We'll try to actually answer some questions a little bit more succinctly next time. But, yes, thank you all. Uh, I would love to get some more audio questions. If we could have that be a weekly segment, that would be awesome, even if it's just Agreed. one a That's week. So, so much fun. Email your audio questions over to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Please title your file name with your name so then Mike and I don't have to spend the first 10 minutes of our week <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure trying out to who figure is out. who. <laughs> yeah. Who is podcast question? <laughs> Who is podcast question for Mike and Mike? Uh, All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. If you get a chance, please go over to wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. That stuff really helps us a lot, and we really appreciate it. As Mike said, all the questions keep coming to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And until next time, later, buddy. We've got our outro. My God. One of these days. (laughs) One of these days. I'm telling you. All right. 
Oh, who is it? This is this Campbell. Is outro. Campbell. Oh, this is yeah. This was a cool one. He's doing. What is it? His, his exclamation was cool. It's um, it's basically his kind of more uh, complex take on fifty ways to leave your lover, and he's called it seventy ways to love one another. <laughs> Bringing us all together. Love all right. it. Check Killer it out. groove, by the way. Later. All right, dude. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.